This is Trice Talk Mini Pod for a Monday night, September the 20th, 2021. And I thought I would experiment with another song tonight. I've never actually heard this one before uh, by Imagine Dragons. I was looking for songs that uh, had Monday in the title, and that one came up. So that's the first time I've heard that. It's just called Monday by Imagine Dragons. So. Uh, anyway, thanks for joining me for another episode of the shortened version of Tri's Talk, if you will, which is mini pod. Um, well, let me uh, let me tell the dragons that they uh, I'm going to have to put them over here on the side for a minute. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of songs that had Monday in the title. I was actually wanting to use. Uh, Monday, Monday by the Mamas and the Papas, but uh, that version didn't sound too well coming over over this um, system. Uh, for some reason, it seemed like the um, the main lead vocals just didn't come out very strong. So, Monday by Imagine Dragons was my second choice, and I'm going to close the show with another one that I'm sure. Most of you will probably recognize, uh, but I'm not going to tell you the, the title right now. There was another one called Blue Monday by The New Order that I thought, hey, okay, that might be kind of neat. Uh, but it went on for about three or four minutes, and I heard no singing whatsoever. It was all instrumental, so I decided not to use that. Anyway... Um, I think we've just gone through day four of the mostly cloudy skies here in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and most of you who listen to have listened to the show more than once know that both Dennis Lee and I live in the Atlanta area. But today it was on again and off again, light rain and, and drizzle pretty much all day. I mean, we've had... Um, I think the majority of last week was actually overcast and uh, some rain issues here and there, but it's almost like it's not, it's almost like Seattle, I would imagine. Of course, I've never even been to Seattle, but, um, but I, I know if you're listening to this podcast you're, you, <laughs> and you don't live here, you're probably saying to yourself, why should I care? about what the weather's been like in Atlanta, Georgia. I mean, really. And I, I can understand that. Uh, but, of course, if you listen to the show uh, quite often, Dennis Lee and I are both kind of uh, amateur weather junkies, uh, if you will. And, whoops. And um, I, uh, if you listen to some of the other previous podcasts, you realize that we quite often have some kind of mention of weather issues one way or the other. Uh, of course, this summer, once the hurricane season started, uh, we, we love to bring up the subjects about the hurricanes that are shooting across the Atlantic. Um, but anyway, we, we do weather stuff quite often, and I can't really tell you why. I think it's just a family trait for some reason or other. We actually had an uncle, and I know I've said this before, but... Uh, for some of you newer people, we had an uncle, won't mention any names, bless his heart. Um, he was a wonderful guy. But in his uh, later years, he was known to be able to sit in front of the TV and um, watch 
a radar pattern. Uh, I don't know if any of you, probably some of you younger people haven't ever seen that, but there was a time when uh, on certain stations and uh, areas, you could just get a radar blip. I mean, that's the only thing the screen had is like the little looking like at a radar, like you'd maybe think of a military radar or something or a, uh, an airport radar. But uh, you could see the line go around and then, you know, if there was any rain clouds or any rain, rain falling, you would see the blip. And he could actually sit there for the longest time and watch that blip waiting or waiting for a blip to show up on the screen. So I, I, for some reason, <laughs> weather and radar and all that stuff is uh, some kind of family curse or trait, if you will, for our family. And uh, Dennis Lee shares some of that. But anyway, that's the kind of weather we've had here in Atlanta uh, for the past four days at least. And and having said all that, my purpose and really in bringing the subject up in the first place is, is to make a point directed at all of you greenies or all of those greenies, because I'm not going to, um, uh, you know, assume that anyone listening is a greenie. But, but all of you who think that we should have solar panels on our roofs <laughs> and be driving electric cars. I can tell you the last four days wouldn't have gone too well, at least in the Atlanta area. And we probably would need some kind of boost, probably have some, uh, I guess we'd have to have a gasoline powered generator in the backyard somewhere, you know, uh, in order to keep the beer cold in the uh, refrigerator that we have in the garage. But so, you know, the solar panel issue is a big thing and, and people are getting excited about it again because uh, uh, I think partially because of what happened in, in Texas last last uh, winter, you know, when the uh, much touted wind turbines froze up uh, and, and I guess it was southwestern Texas, I'm not really sure. Even being from Texas, I've been gone a long time from there, but I think it's in southwest Texas where they have a lot of those wind turbines they all froze up, and uh, so they had uh, problems generating enough electricity last year during that uh, unusual frigid, I guess it was about a week or close to a week of, of temperatures abnormally low and uh, created all kinds of problems in Texas. But anyway, uh, now that the Democrats are in control pretty much of Washington, D.C., uh, a lot of people are excited about solar panels again because the Democrats love solar panels. Probably a lot of Democrats are in the solar panel business. And also a lot of that stuff that we need for the panels comes from people who aren't too crazy about us. But they'll certainly be crazy about supplying us what we need for those solar panels. Um, but you know, thinking about that and, and the, uh, the, the four days of, of cloudiness here in Atlanta, uh, mixed with rain and such, I would imagine there's a lot of places across the country that, uh, it might be kind of hard to sell solar panels, you know, maybe I'm thinking Seattle, Washington for one. I mean, again, I've never been to Seattle, but I hear it's, it rains quite a bit, and it's overcast quite a bit. So I would think Seattle might be a hard place to sell solar panels. Uh, maybe even Portland, Oregon. Um, and there's numerous other locations in the U.S. where solar electricity generation just may not be such an end-all to our carbon emission problems in this country. In fact... Atlanta only has an average of 205 sunny days per year, which is pretty much on par with what uh, some sources say the national average for uh, sunny days in the U.S. Uh, that's, that's the average number. Uh, 
So that means there's 160 days a year on the average that we might have to get some help in meeting our electrical needs in our homes if we were depending on solar panels. And I know the solar panel uh, generation comes with a generator or you have to purchase a generator separately. I'm not quite sure if it's part of the package or an add-on, but certainly um, you, you would need that generator, I would expect. Um, but you know, that's, that's something that I think about when I have day, when we have days like this and I'm like, okay, all these people pushing solar power, uh, and putting all these panels on your roof and everybody wants to install, everybody's running deals now. Like I said, because the Democrats are in control, so they're expecting a lot of support in these areas. Um, But, you know, with our 160 cloudy days a year, uh, that's, you know, that's not bad. But in Seattle, Washington, they only average 71 sunny days per year. So uh, I would imagine... (laughs) solar panels would be almost useless up there in Seattle, Washington. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just guessing Portland, Oregon only has 144 sunny days per year. So they're, they're going to be kind of hard pressed too, even though that's, that's twice as good as what they've got in Seattle. Um, and actually, and when I started looking at these numbers and, and wondering, you know, how many, how many cities across the U S have, have issues like that where they're at and and places like Ohio are uh, they they're pretty low on the sunny days per year at least on the national average end and also Pennsylvania which I was surprised at that as well they're they're pretty low on sunny sunny days average sunshine as well per year so so all you liberals that want us to install solar panels on our roofs in the next 10 years or so, good luck trying to sell that in a lot of places across the country. Especially since the cost to install, let's say um, a, a six kilowatt per hour, or I think a six kilowatt per hour. I'm not quite sure. It doesn't really clarify that. But anyway, a six kilowatt solar panel system for a 1,500-square-foot home is estimated to be an average of about $18,000. And again, I don't know if that comes with the uh, storage battery or not. You know, um, it, it didn't really say in that particular article, but I did read another article where some of those batteries can cost twelve to fourteen. dollars to fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars for the stinking battery, which you're going to need to store up electricity, right? Uh, because uh, especially for those cloudy days, uh, the the cost for installing a solar panel system for a two thousand square foot home, which it seems like uh, all across the country, people are building larger and larger homes these days, but. Um, a system for a 2,000 square foot home can vary between 15,000 and $40,000. And that depends on uh, whatever the demands for the power are in your home. And of course, you also know that today a lot of people are putting more and more electrical gadgets in their homes. Now, we also, uh, if, if you're like me, you've you've started using more LED uh, bulbs and so forth in your home, which I can tell you from experience, I've been using LED bulbs now for about, oh, I would say at least four years in our house, uh, maybe a little bit longer than that. And of course, you know, we didn't convert the whole house because it, and initially they were kind of expensive, but uh, we have converted just about every overhead light and every lamp table lamp in the house to led there may be a few uh wild ones out there i think we don't have one for our uh the the hood light uh over the stove but 
pretty much everything else is, and it makes a huge difference in the power bill. Not only that, but in in the fact that you do not replace them very often. So I am a big fan of LED light bulbs. You know, I'm not in for a lot of the green stuff for a number of reasons, but I am sold on LED light bulbs. And and, and case in point, I had this um, this floodlight fixture that shines over our driveway that uh, I pretty much changed. Uh, it's a two bulb fixture. I, I pretty much changed them at least two to three times a year. Uh, so about a few years ago, I installed LED bulbs in there in place of them. I thought, well, I'll try these, even though they're fairly expensive. And I want to tell you, I haven't changed a floodlight bulb in over three years uh, over the driveway. So they've more than paid for themselves, uh, especially since I don't have to get an extension ladder out and change them uh, or haven't in, in three years. So I'm excited about those kind of things. So I'm not against everything green, but the solar panel thing, because of the cost of the installations and uh, uh, the issues with overcast rainy days, um, you know, it just makes me question whether or not, you know, that's that's uh, a good use of my money. <laughs> uh, of course, there are tax rebates. You can get tax rebates or tax credits, if you will, in some parts of the country uh, to help soften the blow of the high price tag of of, um, of installing solar panels on your roof. Uh, I think in uh, Georgia, uh, let's see, well, I couldn't get the tax credits for Georgia. I know in Alabama, that was the closest area to us that I could find uh, tax credits. They were about 3300 uh, I wish, uh, 33000 yeah, $3,300 uh, tax credit if you uh, install solar panels on your roof. So, you know, uh, $3,300 is not bad out of a um, $18,000 system, but uh, 33 out of a $40,000 system uh, really doesn't ease that pain too much as far as I'm concerned. Uh, But how quickly your electrical savings that you get from installing solar panels will pay off the initial financial outlay is... It, it's going to be different for everybody because, you know, everybody has different uh, electrical consumption needs in their homes. Um, you know, a lot depends on whether you have gas heat, uh, gas cooking, gas dryers and so forth. Or if everything's totally electric, your your uh, power consumption needs are going to be much higher, much greater than someone who has a combination of gas and electric in their home. But many experts calculate that the average payback uh, for installing solar panels on the average home is between six and 10 years, which that's not too bad unless, you know, you're 80 something years old. Uh, you might not want to make that investment or if you think that you may be moving out of your home in uh, the next two to three years or before that payback period uh, affects you. Now, there was another article that says people who have installed solar panels on, on their homes uh, can realize like a 3% increase in the value of their home. But uh, you have to kind of weigh that out too as well. And I, haven't not, I have not seen a solar panel system yet that I don't think that is just ugly as crap. I mean, I can't imagine people spending the amount of money that we spend on our homes and we try to have roof lines that look nice and everything. And then you install solar panels on the roof. Um, I have yet to see one that I thought was attractive. So I don't know, that might be a problem for some people as well. But, you know, the prices for solar panels are going to come down. We know they will, like everything else, like the price of LED bulbs. I remember the first ones that came out, they were an average of uh, like 12 to $15. And people would say, oh, my gosh, how, why would I spend that much money? And then if you had a salesperson there, say, well, you know, this, this bulb is going to last you four or five years. Uh, it's going to pay for itself in electrical savings. Well, not if you only install one bulb at your house. 
But if you do like we did, and a lot of people do, you go through and you start changing these bulbs, every every bulb out in your house, you are going to see a savings in your electrical cost. But like I said, the, the prices are going to come down uh, over the next several years as more and people and more and more people install them on their on their homes. Uh, it it as as usual. Uh, as capitalism is well known for, uh, it will drive the price down. Um, and while I was gathering this information about solar panels, I came across some questions <laughs> being asked by people online. I, I, you know, there's always that one person that asks something that you have to scratch your head and say, really? This is something you're going to ask. But one of the craziest ones that I saw was a person asked whatever this this uh, online thing they were they're asking these questions about, but they asked, would the solar panels work at night? Obviously, they don't understand the word solar and, and what it means. Um, now, the system will work at night if you have that battery where the daytime energy, the electricity that's generated is stored in that battery. Uh, but the panels themselves do not generate any electricity at night. I don't think moonlight counts. Uh, and we do have some pretty strong moonlight on, on clear nights, especially in the wintertime when all the leaves are off or the leaves are off most of the trees uh, around here. Uh, sometimes the moonlight outside generated when it's a full moon is pretty darn bright. Uh, but I don't think it's enough to uh, cause a trickle on your solar panels on your roof. But uh, I would have loved to have been the guy answering those questions uh, from those people online when that one was asked. I, I would have probably come up with a very, uh, I would have had to watch myself because I wouldn't want to insult somebody because they obviously, it was a serious question for them. Um, so for those of us living in areas where the sun is not quite so reliable, there's going to have to be some kind of backup plan, you know? Uh, of course, I, everything that I read doesn't say that solar panels are going to completely er, replace uh, the electric grid, the electric companies in this in, in this country. In fact, there's some, that, uh, some articles that you'll read that talk about people who generate more power with their solar panels than they actually need. They can actually, if they're connected to the grid, can sell this power to the electric companies in the area. Uh, I'm not quite sure how that works. So if, in other words, if your solar panels uh, generate more power than you need yourself, uh, there's some way it gets determined and you can actually share that with, uh, I guess, the, the power grid some in some manner and then you will get reimbursed for that or you'll get make some money off of that that's the way that i that's the simplified uh way that that's supposed to work i think but um you know so so for those of us living in areas where the sun is is not so reliable uh other than you know uh maybe being connected to the electric grid, maybe you can install a windmill or one of those wind turbines in your backyard. Of course, you're going to have to have about an acre and a half of land in order to put one of those monstrosities in your yard. And I think you're going to have to not have any trees uh, because that probably wouldn't work too well. They can't be very close to trees. <laughs> and yeah, you also need at least five miles of hour five miles an hour of wind for the smaller of the turbines to uh, generate any power. Now I'll say um, 
We get fair amounts of breezes here in Atlanta a, a lot of the year, but there are days, especially in the summer, where you can't buy a breeze. I mean, there's just no wind generation at all, except for those passing thunderstorms that we get sometimes. Now, I'll have to say this past summer here in Georgia was not quite so bad at all, because I think we only hit 91 or two or three times, if I'm not mistaken, or at least around the area where I'm in. But there are many a times during the summer where we do not get a breeze of even five miles an hour and you'll see it on the weather report calm. So I don't think, uh, wind turbines would actually be that beneficial for us here in Georgia either, except maybe on the coast around Savannah and some of those places down that way. Uh, but then, you know, there's other times when fronts come through that we get winds in excess of, uh, 35, 40 miles an hour. So, um, but now, like I said, the smaller turbines need at least five miles an hour of wind in order to get them to generate power at all. Uh, but the larger turbines, which I think the ones that they have in Texas would be in that class, and many of those that you see in pictures uh, when they're, they're showing those things, uh, they need at least seven to nine miles an hour of wind to do their business. And... Um, did you know, I, of course, I was looking this up, but did you know that wind turbines have a braking system that shuts them down when the blade rotation exceeds 55 miles an hour? I didn't know that. And I often wondered, you know, well, what if you have these, like, uh, like I said, thunderstorms that come through areas where they have these, uh, turbine, uh, these uh, wind turbines uh, some of those thunderstorms, you get wind gusts in excess of 50 and 60 miles an hour. So um, I often wondered how, what the capacity of these things was, uh, the rotation-wise. But um, apparently, if these blades go uh, rotate over 55 miles an hour, they can be damaged or even worse. <laughs> I mean, you know, you'd hate to see one of those things come flying off uh, the tower and going through some neighborhood. Of course, they're generally not near uh, developments anyway, but uh, still, uh, it could do some damage to something if they came off those towers. Now, of course, in Texas, the wind turbines, you know, they have a braking system that keeps them from working even when the temperature's fall below freezing like they did last year. Uh, no, it's kind of like tongue in cheek there because I, I don't know if I ever actually heard uh, uh, the reason why those turbines froze up in Texas other than they said that they did not winterize them properly. So I'm not quite sure what that meant. Um, if they were had some kind of water cool system on those uh, generators or what. So, you know, that's a problem. You got to make sure you winterize them if you live in areas where uh, you can get down below uh, temperatures, below freezing, like they did in Texas last year. I think it was down in the teens, or maybe it was the single digits for a few days. Uh, I was also surprised to learn while researching the wind turbines that many industrial scale wind turbines require an electric kickstart to begin turning it all. You know, they just don't, you know, there's sometimes there's just not, even in a, a stronger breeze, there's not enough of a breeze to actually get those huge blades turning. So that's, they use these uh, electric motors to help them overcome the inertia of getting the blades to start turning in the first place. And also, electricity is not produced until the blades are turning at a sufficient RPM to generate power. So even though it only takes a, a seven to nine mile an hour breeze to get the turbines to start, uh, you know, to turn on, a, on a, a fairly decent rotation, it's going to take a little while for them building up enough uh, energy to, uh, to create electricity. So, you know, 
those things aren't just as simple as, as you may think they are. And, um, I think the last thing about the wind turbines, I, I, I may have seen something about this last year when we had the problem in Texas with them freezing up, but it says that the average wind turbine costs between two and $4 million each to produce, but it also costs an average annual maintenance of 42 to $48,000 to maintain these things. Can you believe that? 42 to $48,000 per wind turbine for something that you paid anywhere from two to $4 million for. So it, it's, it's clear to me to see why the Biden administration is so adamant about ramping up the use of wind turbines to generate electricity. I mean, you know, somebody's making tons of money on those things. Wouldn't you like to have the company that has the maintenance contract on uh, a couple of thousand wind turbines, right? Um, I mean, personally, I think wind turbines are fascinating. I, I, don't, I don't think they're uh, all that attractive when you see a field of hundreds of these things, but uh, I, I bet uh, the bird populations are not too excited to see them in their neighborhoods or their flight paths when they're trying to... to uh, to fly back and forth during the seasons. So, you know, so wind turbines, uh, solar panels, um, you know, the last thing on the list is nuclear power plants. Now, after all, isn't that a more sustainable source of consistent electricity or energy? as nuclear power plants work just as well on rainy days as they do sunny days. And they don't have to have braking systems to turn them off if for some reason uh, the wind is strong enough to cause them to turn more than 55 miles an hour. They will operate all the time. Of course, unless they melt, have a meltdown or something like that. But <laughs> they there's admittedly some drawbacks to nuclear power. Okay. I'm, I'm, I've never been a, a big fan of nuclear power, but I think as an alternate to some of these other things that have drawbacks, nuclear power is certainly something that's, that, uh, should be in the mix. I mean, there are ways. I mean, we have nuclear submarines. We put our Navy personnel in nuclear submarines. So if we can design a nuclear submarine that we're willing to put, you know, 100 or 200 men or how many ever there are on those things and, and run them underneath the ocean uh, around the world, why we can't build a nuclear power plant that's safe enough uh, for, you know, to be not right in large metropolitan areas, but to service large metropolitan areas. But there are some drawbacks. The first drawback is that nuclear, after all, and none of the right circumstances could go nuclear, right? Uh, we've never had one go nuclear, but we've had meltdowns that uh, certainly uh, were disastrous. So obviously for the sites for a nuclear generating plants have to be selected to, to serve large enough areas, but they can't really be located too close to major population areas. I mean, nuclear power plants take on the average of 14 and a half years to build. And that's from the planning stage when they first start talking about it and designing the plants to the time which they actually become operational. That's a long time. That's a very long time. Uh, case in point, Georgia has a nuclear power plant on the Savannah River. I don't know if any of you, uh, if you're familiar with Georgia, but the Savannah River divides Georgia from South Carolina at, at, uh, on the eastern side. And this nuclear power plant is uh, Plant Vogel, which is, uh, I think it's uh 30 miles south of Augusta. And in 2006, and they've had these uh, 
they they built the first two towers down there, I believe. Ooh, I want to say nineteen eighty. I want to say well, it was in the nineteen eighties. Uh, I don't have that exact date right here in front of me. So, but they, they built the first two nuclear towers in in the nineteen eighties. So, in two thousand six, they decided they wanted to build two more, and they finally got approval for it. So they started the plans in 2006. The first of the two new uh, reactors, which is number three, it's expected to come online in November of this year, 2021. So they started planning in 2006, and here it is 2021, and they're just about um, two months away from opening the first of the two towers. Um, the second one, I believe, is supposed to open by November of next year, uh, 2022. So that puts them at a 15 and 16 years, respectively, from the time they were in the planning stage to the time that they're uh, expected to be able to start generating power. That's a long time. So that's one of those things that you really have to plan way in advance in order to do. Uh, of course, there's another slight drawback from nuclear power plants that has to be considered, and that's the nuclear waste that is generated from each of the 100 nuclear power plants in the U.S. each year. It costs $500 million each year to safeguard the nuclear waste in this country. And it's estimated that this cost will only increase as nuclear waste continues to accumulate uh, over the next hundred years, I'm, I'm, I didn't give a time frame here. And and once a nuclear power plant retires, which they do have a lifespan, I believe. Um, I think I read uh, somewhere where there was like maybe fifty years, sixty years, uh, something like that. But uh, once they retire the nuclear power plant that is no longer usable, uh, they still have to spend the money to safeguard the waste sites. And that has to continue for hundreds of thousands of years, according to this one article. And that's after there is no revenue stream from generating electricity to pay for that storage. So I'm not quite sure where that money is going to come from. Maybe they make them, uh, I don't know, maybe the government requires them to set aside some money to go towards that. Maybe they have to put it in a savings account or something like that. I don't know. But that's that's a long time, folks. So I can see where that could be a problem. Um, and then... Then there's the point, if a nuclear power plant continues to grow in popularity, there's going to be an incre increased risk of some bad people getting their hands on, not literally, but plutonium or uranium to process into nuclear weapons. And of course, there are some countries around the world that can't be allowed to build nuclear power plants because they may be tempted to enrich their uranium for making weapons. That was one of the issues, uh, one of the concerns we have with Iran. Like, you know, that that's the arguments in play right now is, are they going to cheat and use some of that enriched uranium uh, from the nuclear power plants, or are they going to use that to make nuclear weapons? So you have to consider that. And there's some countries that you just can't trust to even have nuclear power plants. I'm not really sure why Iran was ever allowed to have a nuclear power plant, but, you know, uh, that is something to be worried about. And, of course, there is the terrorism risk. Uh, the risk that someone will sabotage a nuclear power plant or, or try to set off a chain reaction at a plant by something like flying a plane into one of the towers. So that is 
an issue that um and of course supposedly the security around them is 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 pretty tight um but i don't know that's certainly got to be a concern especially in this day and time as our enemies across the world are increasing especially now that we don't have afghanistan uh as a as you know a place where we can deter terrorism anymore and lastly after the three mile island reactor in pennsylvania had a meltdown in 1979 americans became a little bit skittish about having one of those things too close to where they live and play i remember three mile island almost like it was yesterday in fact i had not been living in atlanta too long when that event occurred and I remember thinking at the time, gee, that seems kind of dangerous. And I think uh, where Three Mile Island is located is a lot closer to uh, a largely populated area than Plant Vogel is. Not that Augusta is a small city by any means, but it's certainly, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an issue if you have a meltdown at one of the nuclear power plants. Uh, and of course, you can't you can't forget about Chernobyl. Probably most of you are of age where you can remember or you've heard about Chernobyl and that catastrophic meltdown back in 1986. That's Chernobyl, Russia, if you're wondering. Um, and they say it's going to be at least another 200 years before that area where they had that uh, meltdown there at Chernobyl is going to be safe for habitation again, another 200 years. Although I thought that was kind of like in an area of Russia where, you know, not a lot of people uh, chose to live up there anyway, except the people that were actually uh, employed and worked at the nuclear power generating plant there. Um, so even with the risk involved, something I was surprised about, I, and I thought Democrats were still a, a, objected to using uh, nuclear power as a source of generating electricity in this country. But I, I came across another article that said Democrats are actually starting to warm up to the idea, no pun intended, of uh, nuclear power as being part of the solution for meeting our injury. In, injury. In, <laughs> there's another... <laughs> Freudian slip there uh, as part of the plan to uh, meet our energy needs in this country well into the future. So, um, you know, it, it may be some uh, progress on that front if Democrats are starting to come around to the idea that maybe nuclear energy is going to have to be part of the equation, knowing the, um, shortcomings of both solar power and uh, wind turbines. But, like I said just a few minutes ago, if they started some planting nuclear power plants right now, it would be well into uh, like 2036 and beyond before any of them could be operational. So even if they decide that that needs to be part of the mix, it's not going to be anything that's going to help us with our current needs. It's going to be something that's going to have to be on the table for, gee, in the mid-2030s. So for me, given those 160 average cloudy days per year that we uh, experience here in Atlanta, Georgia, I, I, I'm going to hang on to my membership in my electric co-op here um, because I, I feel like that's the most reliable source of energy that I'm going to have, at least in the foreseeable future. And, you know, like I said, if you do things uh, around your house to reduce energy consumption, which, like I said, we switch to all LED bulbs or 99.9% .9 
LED bulbs. And we also, uh, at great cost, replaced both of our air conditioners uh, just a couple of months ago because they were they weren't actually that old. They were a little over ten years old, but they really were expensive to run, and one of them needed maintenance all the time. So we replaced them, and I'm here to tell you, I, I, I was I was really not up for replacing them in the beginning. Uh, but my wife finally convinced me of the need to do that, uh, that it was the right thing to do. And I'll have to say, that was one of the best things that we've done in a long time because we have actually uh, cut our electric bill in half by replacing those air conditioners. And I only I, the only thing I can uh, say that the reason for that is because the new systems are so much more efficient than the old ones that we had uh, that we installed back. I think it was like 2010 or 2011 when when I first put those others in. Um, so I'm a firm believer now in uh, these energy efficient uh, air conditioning units that people are touting today. If you put in a good unit, don't try to go for the cheapest thing that you can get. Make sure it's right sized for your house. And I'll have to say these things run quite often to keep, you know, to keep the temperatures down where, where we set them. And um, they run quite often. And, and the bill is still half of what it was uh, the same time period last year. So there are ways to cut your energy cost. And not only when you cut your energy cost, do you save yourself money, but you also reduce the demand on the electric grid, which is a good thing. So if everybody could afford to, you know, to, uh, make their house energy efficient, which I know that's maybe they ought to be giving people, uh, uh, tax credits for replacing their air conditioners and stuff, you know, to reduce their energy cost in their homes. So if you had a unit that was sized properly for your house and uh, it was pretty much, you know, insulated properly and so forth, this, those things right there can uh, help save on your energy cost and reduce the demand on the power grids. Uh, so anyway, I'm going to stay with that. I don't think I can't see solar panels in our near future and certainly don't have the acreage to install a windmill in the yard. So we're pretty much stuck with our electric co-op, at least while we're in this house. All right. So all of that that just came from me thinking about it's, you know, the cloudy days that we've had here in Georgia. And I, I, I I was think I always do when we have uh, numerous days that are cloudy here, overcast and rain. I think about all those people that want to push solar panels on your home. And it's like, okay, what am I supposed to do about this? I've got four days here that it never would have gotten enough sunshine. Of course they say you can still get enough sunshine, uh, through the clouds, the light, more or less, uh, that you can generate some power, but it certainly is not uh, as much as you can get when you actually have the sun out and uninhibited by clouds. So it always makes me think of those solar panels every time I have several days of clouds like this. All right. So I don't know if you think about it or not, but that's... I just decided not to talk about politics tonight. Uh, there's there's some things that uh, certainly want to get into tomorrow night um, that have been updated today. So I will uh, I'll uh, look forward to doing that tomorrow night on another mini pod. All right. So if you like this or any of the Trice Talk family podcasts, which is Trice Talk or mini pod please be sure to follow us. 
I hope you will look for the next episode of Minipod, which will post tomorrow night, and they generally post after midnight. Uh, remember, I'll also keep you updated when uh, Dennis Lee and I will be doing another episode of Trice Talk. We're still kind of in flux about that right now, but uh, keep keep checking, and uh, I'll update you when we uh, can come up with a concrete date to do that. And also uh, keep checking because I'm I'm looking for a means to. Uh, uh, continue the contest for the book giveaway, the Mark Levin book, American Marxism, which, uh, like I said, we've already uh, given out a couple of copies uh, as prizes. And we have a few more in our storeroom here that we can give away just as soon as we can find another means of having a contest. So until that time, keep your eyes open and your mind sharp. I'm Donald Wayne, and this has been Minipod. Stay safe, everybody.